Good day, students. Last time, we discussed about one of the important primary sources in the history of the Philippines, which is Pagafeta's first voyage around the world by Ferdinand Magellan. As we have learned, Pagafeta's account was written after his return to Italy as suggested by his contemporaries. The book he wrote tells us about the journey of Magellan, and his fleet composed of five ships from Spain crossing to the Strait of Magellan, the Mar Pacifico or the Pacific Ocean, until they landed in the Philippines in March 16, 15, 1521. It also accounted about the observation of Pegafeta of the customs and the behavior of the Filipinos during the time. He documented important events in the book like the First Mass, the baptism and conversion of the first Catholics in Cebu, the Battle of Mactan, where Magellan was killed, as well as the return of the only surviving ship, Victoria, to Spain. Today, we will continue our exploration of the Philippine history in the context of another important primary source. We will talk about the customs of the Tagalogs as documented by Fray Juan de Placentia. Our objectives for these lessons are the following. First is to examine the context and perspective of the document. Second is to explain the relationship among the members of the barangay. Discuss the religious and spiritual practices and beliefs of the early Filipinos. And lastly, to determine the significance of the document to the Philippine history. So in this topic, we will talk about an important document that gave a description of the pre-colonial life of the Filipinos, particularly in Luzon, or what we call the Tagalogs. So before we will start our discussion of the or the excerpts of the customs of the Tagalogs as written by Fray Juan de Placentia, let us tackle first the historical context or what is the historical background during the time that Father or Fray Juan de Placentia write or wrote the customs of the Tagalogs. So during the first century of Spanish rule, we, we learned in our history that the colonial government have difficulty in running the local politics because most of the Spaniards during the time, they really don't want to live outside Intramuros. So as we all know, Intramuros is like um, a walled city in Manila. So most of the Spaniards just want to live in luxury or in elegance, so they don't want to go outside Intramuros or live somewhere else. So because of that, the Spanish officials um, were forced to give some sort of um, positions to the Filipinos. And one of that position is the gobernador Silio. So the gobernador Silio is um, actually equivalent to our municipal mayor today. So they are the leader of the town, town which is called Pueblo during the time. So these um, gobernador Silio, they're actually expected to be loyal to the crown. 
to the king of Spain. And the friars assigned in the parishes were instructed to supervise and monitor the activities of these gobernador Silio and the rest of the Filipinos in that particular town or pueblo. So that is when um, the the role of the friars became very important. As we all know, during the time of the Spanish uh, colonization, there is no such thing as separation of the church and the state. So basically, there is the union of the church and the state because the friars, the fraile or the priest that we know today, they actually hold positions in the government so they have um they perform administrative duties like um supervising the election of the local executives they help in collecting taxes so they're like the bir today and they are directly involved in educating the youth and performing other civic duties. So basically, that's how important the role of the friars or the fraile or the fry during that time. So they're assigned in different territories, mission territories. And one of those um, priests during that time, um, he actually belonged to the Franciscan order. So that was Fray Juan de Placentia, the writer of our customs of the Tagalogs, which we are going to tackle today. So it's written in the customs of the Tagalogs that is actually an account of the observation of Fray Juan de Placentia during the time he was assigned um, somewhere in Luzon or the Tagalogs as we all know today. So who is Fray Juan de Placentia? And what did he wrote? What, what are the contributions that he gave which became important to the Philippine history that we know today? So as stated earlier, um, Placentia wrote um, Relación de las Costumbres de los Tagalogs, or in English, Customs of the Tagalogs, which was written in 1589. So this contains, um, these Customs of the Tagalogs, contains numerous information regarding the history um, prior to the the spreading of the influence of the Spaniards all over the Philippines. So basically, since he is already in, in Luzon, he was able to observe what are really the life or the ways of living, the social hierarchy of the Filipinos during the time. So this is a very important primary source, and this is actually personally witnessed um, by Fray Juan de Placentia. So basically, this is um, a primary source, as I've stated. So during the time also, um, aside from Fray Juan de Placentia, there are also other colonial officials and friars who wrote uh, other literature 
that talks about the Filipinos. Like for instance, we have Miguel de Luarca. Um, he wrote the Relacion de las Islas Filipinos, and we have the very uh, popular governor Antonio de Morga, who wrote the Sucesos de las Islas Filipinos, which we later. Um, when we are going to talk about Tusarizal, he actually made an annotation of the Sucesos de las Islas Filipinas of Antonio Morga. So those are other literatures aside from um, Fray Juan de Plasantia's account. But basically, the one written by Fray Juan de Plasantia is, is the most significant. And this is a very detailed account of what he have observed about the Filipinos. So who is Fray Juan de Plasantia? So his real name is Juan de Porto Carrero. So he's a member of the Franciscan order. So as we all know, there are different orders or um, how do you call that? Like right now we have like the SVD priest. So it's like that. There's the Franciscan, the Augustinian priest. So there are different groups of missionaries. So Juan de Plasantia, he belonged to the Franciscan order. So they came um, with the first batch of missionaries to the Philippines in the year 1578. And later on, um, he wrote the book um, entitled Customs of the Tagalogs. So he, together with Fray Diego de Oropesa, they were assigned to do a mission in the southern Tagalog area. So that's why he got so familiar with the customs of the Filipinos, particularly the Tagalogs. So this is actually not true to all because there might be some differences with the customs of the, the, the people in Visayas or probably the people in Mindanao, so on and so forth. So he helped in the foundation and organization of different towns like Kasan, Laguna, Rizal, and Bulacan. So the book that he wrote, The Customs of the Tagalogs, this is actually a document which is already kept right now in Archivo General de Indias in Spain. And there is another one in Madrid, Spain. The other one is in Seville and the other one is in Madrid, the capital of Spain. Uh, another duplicate copy um, in Archivo Franciscano Ibero Oriental. So, of course, because he, is, um, he belongs to the Franciscan order. And then there's an English translation, which um, we are going to know later on. The English translation, which is part of the book, The Philippine Islands. So to start with our excerpts of the customs of the Tagalos. So let's... Um, talk about the social classes during the time. So basically, we learned this in our Sibika at Cultura or Aralin Panipunan before in our high school, that there are social classes in the Philippine society prior to the coming of the Spaniards. So these um, social classes, of course, starts with the Datu, as we all know, he's the leader, he's the de decision maker. He solves the issues and conflicts in the village, or they call barangay. 
which is of course derived from the word balangay which means a boat so that's basically the boat um where the indonesians when they they came to the philippines they derived that particular balangay which of course later on became the word barangay so the datu he governs the people in the village which is composed of at least 30 families to 100 families uh, there are barangays which are bigger in numbers like a thousand houses or households so these are like Cebu that's one of the biggest villages or barangay during the time so this tribal gathering that happened in in the village is also called barangay so if they have this gathering they call it barangay barangay which we all know today is the village or barangay so this um leader the dato sometimes in um mindanao they are called sultan or raja or raja so these are the leaders of the village so they are like a monarch um they are decision maker as i've mentioned earlier they are the executive they execute the laws they make laws they promulgate laws and they are also judges when there are disputes among the people in the barangay so lower to the datu are the case so it's like um the case system in india so the the case um that or the social hierarchy during the time lower to the datu of course are the maharlika or we call them the nobles in english so they are free born so these maharlikas are free people they do not pay taxes because during the time the people are paying taxes to the dato so it's more like what we're doing today people are paying taxes to the government and in return the government will give them protection etc etc so these maharlikas so they are those people who will assist the datu in times of war and especially during the the day-to-day -day activities of the datu so they are like the entourage of the datu every time he goes around the barangay or he is doing his day-to-day -day activities so they um the maharlikas also they are trained warriors that will fight alongside the the datu during uh, in times of war that is if they have war with another village or another barangay so next to the nobles are the commoners in english or we call them in Tagalog, aliping namamahay. So this is one thing that we have to understand. I guess we have some sort of knowledge about the alipin in the Philippine context. But we have to distinguish what is the alipin, aliping namamahay and the aliping sagigilar or the aliping sagigilid. So these are actually, although the word alipin if we translate it in English, it, it, it means slaves. But 
to give a distinction between the aliping namamahay and the aliping sagigilar is that the aliping namamahay are the commoners or the common people. Um, they are those that cannot be treated as commodities. It means they cannot be sold. Uh, their task is to serve the nobles or the datu. They can get married. They can own properties. So basically, they are like us today, like the common people or the, the, the they are also people who necessarily um let's put it this way they're like the maids working for a particular household or working for someone else or they're the ordinary workers for someone else so that's the aliping namamahay so they are the commoners and the slaves of course these are the alipi sagigilar so they serve their masters in their house so they they stay in the house stay in so if the commoners they have their own house they have their own property they can go back to their houses after they do their work in their masters the slaves they live together with the masters so they are those who actually are doing the heavy and extensive labor they can be sold they are like commodities they are not free so they are not allowed to marry as well so again let's note that the aliping namamahay are not slaves unlike the aliping sagigilar so this is actually very interesting because um, in other countries, like for example, in Italy, particularly in Rome during the time of the Roman Republic, they also have slaves. But there is, n there is no such thing as distinction between slaves. They don't have the commoner, like what we have, the Aliping Namamahay and the Aliping Sagigilar. So basically, slaves in the general context of the word is they're those people who are not free they can be sold they could be killed um, if their master owes someone else money they could be uh, given as a payment etc etc et okay so another interesting there's actually a very um, long book so let's just try to summarize important things you can just read the rest I have given you a copy of the book. Um, uh, actually, it's also just an excerpt. So basically, it's just like some parts of the book written by Fray Juan de Plasantia. Um, another interesting thing here, uh, aside from the social classes, are um, loss and punishments that they have during that time. So... Um, as I have mentioned a while ago, it is the Datu who will um, promulgate sentences or they, they will be the one who will give judgment. When there is a fight between one or two or anyone within the barangay. So the Datu will do the investigations as well as the sentencing. So he's basically like the judge today. <clears throat> Although the judge will not do the investigation. It's the work of the police. An arbiter also 
from another barangay if it so happens that the litigants or in our layman's term in our word katong nagkiniha ay um they felt that they are aggrieved or like there is no justice to be given so they could ask people from other barangays to be the arbiter for that so it's just like the same today if there is like um a conflict of interest in the part of the judge so they could transfer the venue of that particular hearing or something like that so so that there is really the assurance of justice to be served so witches during that time there of course we know that witches are like considered evil so they are killed and their children became they became slaves for the chief so this is actually one interesting thing also you probably were wondering how can one person become a slave so people before they can become a slave or a living sagigiler um, as part of punishment for a crime so instead that they will be given death penalty because there is death penalty during the time actually um, we still have death penalty it's just just it's freeze it's not yet implemented but if it is reinstated there is um, death penalty again in the Philippines so during the time instead of death penalty so it's like next to death penalty so it's like if today death penalty next is reclusion perpetua so during the time next to or lower to death penalty is the um, punishment to become a slave so those people who cannot pay their loans they're also going to become slaves or others also are captives during wars so this is also true with other countries not just in the philippines again like for example in the roman um, empire um, if they capture um, people from places that they conquer so for example in gaul gaul today is um, france so these people will become slaves for the roman empire okay and another is another very interesting thing um during the time um probably in other countries it is not allowed to have intermarriage between a noble and a slave but during the time marriage customs in the philippines there is no rule against intermarriage so nobles and slaves they could intermarry so when that happens um their children um say um the first child the odd number the first the third the fifth so on and so forth they will become um nobles or maharlika and since the mother for instance is the one who is a slave so the second child the second the fourth the sixth so on and so forth or the even numbers they will become slaves so so bisaya patungaon the other half of the children are nobles and the other half are slaves so 
if bali if it's the woman who is a maharlika so same um the second the fourth the sixth is a maharlika and if the father is the one who is a slave then the first the third the fifth so on and so forth they will become slaves so that's very interesting during the time aside from um marriage of course part of their marriage customs during the time is the giving of the dowry so the dowry as we all know is practiced by the muslims until today that is like a sum of money or property given by the family or the family of the groom or the husband to the wife or the woman so what will happen to this dowry so if the wife has neither father or mother um, or grandparents it's the woman who will enjoy the dowry but if there is a father and a mother so it's the parents who will enjoy the dowry so that's um i guess that still holds true until now especially for the muslims because as i mentioned they are still practicing the giving of the dowry mm. okay let me see um okay so what will happen to the dowry if um after death or say for example namatay ang usa so provided that the dowry has not been consumed it is divided like the rest of estate so it's like it would be divided among the children except in the case that the father should care to bestow something additional upon their daughter so as i've mentioned if the wife at the time of her marriage has neither father mother nor grandparents she will enjoy the dowry upon the death of her husband so but in the case of a divorce because one thing very interesting about our ancient filipinos they actually practice divorce divorce is still practiced today but only for the muslims muslim filipinos um in the case of a divorce before the birth of the children if the wife left the husband for the purpose of marrying another so if the wife left the husband because she wanted to marry someone else all the dowry and an equal additional amount fell to the husband so the dowry and another amount will go to the husband but if she left him and did not marry another so she just left but have no intention of marrying whatsoever so the dowry will be returned when the husband left his wife he lost half of the dowry so um, this is actually very interesting because um, if the husband will left unlike the woman all the dowry will go to the the man in this case if the man will left 
or leave the, 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 the family, the wife, he will lose just half of the dowry. So very interesting. But anyway, he is the one who gave the dowry after all. So that's for the dowry.